The Christian Atheist is also available on YouTube, and you will find other great content, including the literature I frequently refer to, on our Simple Gifts podcast. If you find our content helpful, consider supporting us through PayPal at RomansChapter5 at Comcast.net. Welcome to No Compromise, where faith and reason fuse in conversation. Qu'il son pole pied of my lover. Happy anniversary, John. Happy anniversary, my love. I was excited this morning when I woke up, considering that this is our third attempt, maybe fourth attempt now, mm-hmm. <laughs> to get this right because we've had various problems Technical with our microphones and, and other issues. Mm. Um, so I am excited to complete the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with you. Right, we're going to try to complete it. Depends on how long-winded you get. Well, <laughs> that that does tend to be a problem, doesn't it? <laughs> so we're going to try to to limit it to Edmund's return, Aslan's death and resurrection, maybe the resurrection going into the courtyard. Yep. Okay, and then the battle, the final battle. Okay. So we're going to restrict our range, which so is probably three, a good idea. Yeah, those okay. are the three most important. All right. And so we start in chapter 13 where um, the witch, the dwarf, and Edmund are walking towards uh, the stone table. Right. Their sledge has been stopped because of spring coming. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they're forced then to walk, which slows them down and allows Peter, Lucy, and Susan and the beavers to make it to the stone table before before, mm-hmm. before the witch. Okay. So Edmund at this point is extremely tired. He's hungry. He's thirsty, but he doesn't even realize he's hungry and thirsty right. because he's so tired. And he just wants to lay down and nothing matters anymore. Right. And it it kind of picks up there with the witch saying, if I'm remembering the text correctly, they have come to a very dark place and the witch has stopped and they're recognizing that they're not going to make it to the stone table. And so they decide, the witch and her dwarf decide that it's time to kill Edmund because if they don't, then the prophecy has a chance of being fulfilled where all four are sitting on the thrones. So she thinks at this point that her best option is to take care of Edmund, take him out. And so she begins to prepare for that. But as you said, Edmund, after having spent so much time with the witch, he is now almost completely disillusioned. Mm -hmm. And this, this is very poignant for me because I had come to the conclusion after years of atheism that all of life was just a process of disillusionment. Right. That um, all of the things, all of the magic I remember as a child, and even as a Christian, those things of, of looking forward, I had talked myself into believing that that is mere superstition, mm-hmm. silliness, and that I wanted to be scientific in my outlook. Well, Edmund has come to a similar situation. Right. He has rejected the good. And... In the evidence, evidence and faith, this is the point that I make that there are two paths. And Peter, Susan, and Lucy chose the path of believing in the good and taking it where it would take them. And you'll notice that they were concerned with Mr. Tumnus, Mm -hmm. not with themselves. But Edmund's primary focus was on himself. Right. And therefore, he was living out an ethic of the ends justify the means, mm-hmm. a utilitarian ethic, an ethic devoid of any real sense of value, right. of goodness. And therefore, he embraced that ethic <laughs> of sort of reinforcing all of his own good. Everything was about Edmund. Exactly. But that took him to despair. Right. To the point where he didn't even 
feel like he 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 wanted to partake of the pleasures of hunger and thirst. Yeah, it's like he wanted to lay down in the dark and just pass on. Right. And this is kind of the wisdom of the Stoics too in the Western world, and it's also almost the entirety of the Eastern religious tradition. Mm-hmm. Right, the seeking for nirvana, um, right. and and what the Buddha taught was the notion of of, of avoiding suffering, right. of not so much seeking the good because there is no good. That is mere illusion, but rather avoiding the pain of this existence. And that really graphically illustrates what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And I've been trying to say since the beginning of the Christian atheists, that there are these two fundamental paths that we can choose as human beings, the path of Cain, the path of Lucifer, or we can believe as God said in Genesis, that the world is good right. and embrace that good. But like Susan, Peter, and Lucy, it doesn't always mean that good things happen. Right. It means, as we were reading in Hebrews 11 this week, mm-hmm. that we believe the promise, we seek it, but yet in this life we never attain it. And it, it says that very explicitly mm-hmm. in Hebrews 11. None of these have attained the promise when they died. Right. And we never do. Right? So it's a hope. It's an eternal hope moving forward. And Edmund as this chapter opens, chapter 13, has lost all hope because he has placed his faith in the witch, in the world that has no essential value. And he's put his faith into the witch. And the witch, how does she view him? She starts (laughs) to call him it. She dehumanizes him. That's right. Yes. And that that's a very important point because all totalitarian structures, mm-hmm. as we saw throughout the 20th century, whether they were rightist totalitarian, the Nazis, uh, the fascists, <laughs> or socialist totalitarianism, all of them led to the same thing, the dehumanization. And that's clear because as soon as you abandon the reality of value, the reality of good, the reality of God, then there is no fundamental reason to respect human life. Mm-hmm. And so putting your faith in what the witch stands for dehumanizes you. Yes. Putting your faith in God right. elevates you. Because, yeah. because as the Bible says, we are created in, in the image, image of our creator. Yeah. yeah. And that, again, I, we keep going back to this, mm-hmm. but the abortion debate is yeah. exactly centered on this issue. When we abandon the sacredness of human existence, of human life, as in the imago dei, we devalue it. And therefore, who gets to choose what's of value and what isn't? Exactly. Um, and babies, who cares about them? Because they're just flesh in the womb. Right. They're just uh, a, a mass of tissue. Um, but then if that's the case, then why aren't you standing where you are right now, just a mass of tissue as well? Exactly. That can be discarded. Where do you draw the line? Okay. As they prepare to kill Edmund, there's a... Rescue party. Yeah, a rescue party comes in and, and Edmund is rescued. That's right. And at that moment, I don't want to go too much into that, but um, at that moment, um, after Edmund is, is removed, C.S. Lewis talks about... C.S. Lewis said that if you had been there, you would have noticed a small tree stump and a boulder, and that after everyone had left, all the rescue party had left, you would have noticed that the stump moved over to the boulder Uh because they were in reality, the witch 
and the dwarf. Right. Because she had cloaked them. Right. Right. She made things look like they're not. She could make things look like they're not. Right. And uh, we, we talked before about why a boulder. Yeah. It's kind of odd. Right. The stump makes sense, especially yeah. with dwarves being like the son Earthy. of earth. Yeah. Right. So the, that makes complete sense. And that's kind of a living, it's a cut off dwarf. Yeah. Um, so it's a dead tree, but it still was organic. Right. But the stone is inorganic. Right. Right. And that seemed a little puzzling the to us. The only thing we could think of is the uh, witch turning everything to stone. Right. But if anybody has yeah, any idea. We would love to hear any ideas on that. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we thought about that was that it's very strange that he chose a boulder. Right. Because both of us sort of remembered it as a tree right. and a, a tree stump. A tall tree and a stump. Right, a tall tree and a stump because the witch was so tall and thin. Right. And right. so for a boulder doesn't seem to fit the picture. Right. So Lewis must have chosen the boulder for some specific reason. Right. And so we're kind of still puzzled by that. Right. But I liked I liked what you proposed, the idea that it was the witch turns things into stone. Right. Um, and so she's the, the negation of life rather mm -hmm. than the reality of life. And it's also important, I think, to note that the witch is inherently deceptive. Mm -hmm. Like Satan is the father of lies. So the witch is able to hide herself and others, hide reality. Right. And that's another fundamental characteristic of the second choice. Rather than believing in God, right? then we start to embrace the illusory. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the case of, of ideologies in the 20th century. And it's certainly the case of the Hegelian wokest ideologies that are pervading our culture today. Right. And the only other thing is that when Jesus rose again, the boulder was rolled away. And yeah, here that Jesus, was are in here, the witch is about to be rolled away. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting take. I, and I, I don't yeah. quite know what to make of it, but know. I don't want to make of the whole thing. Exactly. So, yeah. Okay. So now Edmund, actually, he's he's taken apart you know, with Aslan, and Aslan has a talk with him. And then Aslan presents Edmund to the children. Right. Edmund apologizes, and it's awkward, and they shake hands. And they're awkward because they don't know what to say. Yeah. What, what do you say? Mm -hmm. I mean, this, and it's kind of interesting, this recalls to me, um, and this gets very intimate. I'm not even sure I want to share it, but I think I will. After my first wife died, I had stayed away from my family because she was not a big fan of my family. And so I kind of separated myself from them for years and years and years. And when I came back to them, they opened their arms to me mm -hmm. as though nothing had changed. Right. And I, I'm still blown away by it mm -hmm. as though I had done nothing wrong. And I had wronged them. I had for sure. And yet they accepted me with open arms, just like Lucy, Susan, and Edmund did here. I missed the life, the growing up of many of my nieces and nephews um, because of that. I'd stayed away for so long. And um, when I walked back into the family, it was like I'd never left. Mm -hmm. And that was so beautiful, I still cry about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I certainly didn't deserve it. Right. And I know Edmund felt exactly that. Exactly. When he came back and they they didn't know what to say, but they didn't need to say anything. They just hands, said, right? that's all right. They shook hands and said, that's all right. Mm -hmm. And that's all they could say. Exactly. But it was enough. Mm -hmm. Okay. Eventually the witch presents herself to Aslan. Right. To talk. Right. And the witch is coming. 
because she knows she has a valid, I mean, that's what it's called, a legal, a legal right. claim. Right. Because she understands, at least to a certain extent, the laws that govern the universe. And she knows what is rightfully hers. Right. And Edmund is a betrayer. And his blood point, belongs is, to her. This is when you realize that Lewis mentions a sacrificial system. Right. Up till now, you didn't realize he talked about that at all. Yeah. In, in one of our earlier episodes mm -hmm. of The Christian Atheist, I remember talking about um, the sacrificial system and how it trips me up. Right. And mentioning that Lewis never really ever mentions a sacrificial system. And I can kind of stick by that still, but he does here mention right. a sacrificial system. It's just that it's always the witch who's doing the killing right. here. Whereas in the Old Testament, it was actually God who instituted the sacrificial system. Mm -hmm. um, and in a sense, it's still the laws of the emperor here right. that the witch is obeying. So. The sacrificial system is echoed. Yeah, and we know it's the yeah. emperor's laws because she reminds <laughs> Aslan of the emperor's laws. Yes. And she knows that she can stand on them. Right. <laughs> yep. And unashamedly does so. Yes. Um, yeah. She stands there before him and knows what her right is. Right. And claims it. Yep. Right. It almost reminds you of when Job comes before God. Oh, yeah. You know, this, yeah, you this whole this. scene, yeah, this whole scene reminds you of Job coming before God, accusing um, Job. Right. Except that as Edmund really is guilty and mm -hmm. deserves it. Exactly. Whereas God says, have you seen my servant Job? Right. <laughs> right. And Satan says to him, well, yeah, of course he's following you. Look at all the good you've done him. Right. Um, but take those away and see how he acts. And we talked about how um, with the witch's response to Aslan versus Andrew, Uncle Andrew's response to Aslan. Andrew's fearful. Yes. You know, can't right. even understand. Right. The witch comes in with confidence. Right. And boldness, just as Satan comes before God and Job with mm. boldness and confidence. Right. And, and I can't <laughs> help but see here again, I know I always do this, uh -huh. but I can't help but see here the difference between those on the left who are running things at the higher levels, who understand the Marxist vision behind it all. And the utter confidence with which they approach things because yeah. they understand the underlying structure of their ideology. Exactly. Whereas the useful idiots, what Stalin called the useful idiots, is almost everyone else who really doesn't understand, right. who thinks they're doing good things and really want to do good things. And that's why they sign on with this. Right. But they don't realize where it's going. Exactly. They don't realize the deep magic. Exactly. And that's, I think, the difference between Uncle Andrew and the witch. She really does understand. She did understand. Um, the deep magic. In, in or yeah, The deep the magic. She actually says that. And even in The Magician's Nephew. Right. You could tell she, Andrew had no idea what he was getting himself into. Right. It was much bigger than him, mm -hmm. which is the case of almost everybody on the left. Right. I know lots and lots of people who are very good people mm -hmm. who want what's best, and they buy into all of this stuff, right. not because they're bad people, but because they're good people. Mm -hmm. And the left can manipulate and that even, goodness. Even we see it in the church. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of the ideas have crept in. Yep. And for for good reason, yeah, it is for good reason because yep. yeah, they adopt it because it's it's loving and right, and they feel it's what Jesus would want them to but do. But they're not seeing yeah. the deep magic right. and not, where it leads. They're not being as wise as serpents, right? 
Right. Right. They're trying to be harmless as doves. Exactly. And that's that gentle Jesus, meek and mild thing that you and right. I both yes. scream about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the next section is, okay, the, at this point, the witch makes obviously makes an agreement with Aslan. We don't know what it is, but somehow Edmund gets off the hook. Right. The reader doesn't understand at this point. Ooh, um, but there ahead. is one section there that we uh -huh. probably ought to cover yeah, in relation ahead. to that. Because while they're talking, I think it's the witch and Aslan are talking, and Susan says to Aslan, That's right. isn't there something we can do about this deep magic, Aslan? And isn't is, there some way? Go ahead. Yeah, this is the point where when the witch is, is telling Aslan, but it's your role, it's yours, you know, it's that's your, right. you have to, you have to obey the you rules. You have to obey the rules. Right. You know that he is my property. Right. And then, oh. then Susan asks, isn't then, there something we can do? Right. And what happens? And Aslan mm -hmm. turns to Susan and says, work against the emperor's magic. Right. And pretty much just that. That was enough. It was enough because the, the way in which he said it, it was mm -hmm. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like your dad and my dad. Right, right. right. <laughs> when they said something, <laughs> all questions ceased. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what Aslan does here. And it says immediately following that, and no one ever made that suggestion to Aslan again. Exactly. Because you don't work against the emperor's magic. Right. It is the deep structure of reality. Mm -hmm. magicians try to work against it. Right. And magicians are the Hegelians in our culture today, the empirical idealists uh -huh. who think that they can change reality, turn men into women, yeah. um, make men pregnant. Um, <laughs> it, it's silly. Yeah. You try to work against it. When you work against reality, it will snap back. Exactly. Because reality is what it is. You don't get to work against the emperor's magic, not even the emperor. Can works work against, against his magic. the emperor's magic. Right. Yes. So then Aslan and the witch go off by themselves to discuss. And we don't know at this point what they discuss. All we know is Edmund gets off the hook, right. as I was saying. But but at the same time, there's just this sense of sadness with Aslan. Right. Yeah. And so... Um, as get, Jesus going to the cross right. in the Garden of Gethsemane, crying right. the tears. Well, I would say maybe the Last Supper... You know, there was a sense of nobody knew what was about to happen. Yeah. But Jesus knew. And there was this sense of if you read the Last Supper, right. you get a sense that something's about to happen. Right. He's going to go away. Right. He says he's going to go away. Right. Yes. Um, so we get to the next chapter, chapter 14. And this is where Aslan is killed by the witch. And it's reminiscent of Hebrews 4.15. A high priest like to ourselves. Yes. Remember? And right. Aslan shows his humanity. Yes. At this point. Right. He he needs he wants comfort. Right. And of course, what who does he turn to here? This is again one of those elements of, of the differences between the sexes. Mm -hmm. It's the women who comfort right? Jesus. It's the women who minister to him after his death. Mm -hmm. Um and that role should never be neglected. And the the um the nobility. Right. Of, of the feminine here is raised to a higher level than in anything else in the history of the world. Right. Christianity has done more to raise the status of women than anything else. Right. No matter what the feminists today <laughs> want to claim to the opposite. Exactly. Okay. So, um, 
Lucy and Susan are not allowed to keep going with him. They only go so far, but they were permitted to watch what yes. was going to happen. Right. Um, it's almost it's almost similar to first of all, Jesus calls three of his disciples to go with him further in the garden. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. But they fall asleep. Yes. But the next day, Peter and John watch the goings on with Jesus. Right. And him being taken. Yeah. Right, right. But I mean, and, after he's taken. Right, the trial. His, his trial, right, yeah. For Caiaphas, yep. Okay. So they start to, I think it's from their point of view at this point, they see the witch comes with all her evil minions. Yep. And they, the first thing they do is shave Aslan down. Right. And then they muzzle him. Right. And then. To silence the word. Right. And then. um they put the hags, the hags go to the four corners, and then she, then the witch kills Aslan with her. After she monologues him a little bit, then <laughs> she kills him. Yes. Okay. So this whole section we said in the past, it always, you know, we always said, of course, it reminds us of the death of Jesus. Right. But this time when we read it through, it was different this time. This time, it was like the death of God in a society, mm -hmm. you know, like a Marxist society, right? Or or the rise of atheism, right? The the shaving of his of his mane is right. like when they remove all respect and honor for God, right? And then the the muzzling of Aslan was like when they begin to take away. Speech. The authority of the church, right. the authority of, of the word of God. When yes. They, yeah, when they come into a society and do that. And the hags, you said. Right, and I found it interesting. And, and hold on, at the same time with the hags, when they put the hags at the, at, is it at the four corners? Four corners of the table, right. yeah. The, at the same time, he mentions the witch bears her arms. Yes. Yeah, This is and this is interesting. It's like, I think Lewis, having gone through the early 20th century, yeah. Um, up through the middle of the of the twentieth century, saw the rise of feminism, mm -hmm. um, and I don't think he, you know, I don't think he had problems with women voting or anything like that. But, right. but he did see a problem with the rise of femininity as sort of out of trumping. place, like it was out of place, the right? And it was being shown in the wrong way. Correct. Right. It's like the witch. Is now going to run things. Right. It's killing the masculine spirit. Right. The feminist, um, the triumph of the feminist over the masculine. Right. And the hags also are are, are women. Mm -hmm. Right. It's the so I shouldn't say women. They're the feminine. Right. So at the four corners of society of the world, just mm -hmm. like you said, and this was revelationary to me too, because I yeah. always just thought of it as just the death of Jesus. Right. But it's more than that, I think, that's being portrayed here, just like you pointed out. Mm -hmm. And at the four corners is this rise of the feminine. Right. And the witch bearing her arms and expressing her power. Right. And then she says to Aslan, you've given yourself and I take your life now mm -hmm. in order to save Edmund. Right. But now that you're gone, I'll take him too. Right. I have won. Right. In that, she says, despair and die, and she kills him. Right. Without recognizing that, as I think many are sort of discovering today, you cannot kill the Spirit of God. Right. In, you can try. You can shut it down. You can, you can silence the Christians. Um, you can do all of those things. Well, yeah, you can remove the respect and honor for God, like yes. we said in Shaving Aslan. You can, in our schools. You can take away, like you in said, muzzle, we can muzzle. Yep, you can God. muzzle the word you of God. You can do that. 
um, then you can try to kill him. Yep. But if you remember, what did Aslan do as he was when when this whole thing was happening? Was he angry? Was he sad <laughs> in the fact that he was dying? <laughs> no, God is not. <laughs> you can't kill God, so right. he's he ends up. It says that on the table, he his he sat quietly through all of it mm -hmm. without responding, with his eyes gazing towards heaven. And he had he was sadness in his eyes, yes. but it wasn't for himself. It wasn't right, it wasn't despair. Um, <laughs> and in the end of this, it's like sacrificing God on the altar of our own betrayals yes. to all value and of meaning. Our own values of of our own ends, right? Right. Sacrificing the ultimate mm -hmm. on the altar of the immediate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this this death of Aslan is, I mean, it has similarities with Jesus's death, but it's just there's something different about it for sure. And I think that's what. And we see that in the the resurrection account right. too, because it's different from the resurrection. Right. And I think yeah. that's what Lewis was was looking at and, yeah. and trying to portray. All right. So the girls are absolutely horrified. Right. And the witch sends all her minions out now to have battle with. The forces of good. Right. And that would be Peter and Susan. Right. And um, Lucy. Or to no, destroy no, the remaining structures wait, wait, of society. Battle the forces of good, which would be Peter and his, and the Narnian army. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Once the witch and her minions are gone, yep. then the girls come over to minister to Aslan. And one of the things they do is remove his muzzle. Right. And now he's free. He's free to to speak again. Of course, they think he's dead, mm -hmm. but he's free now. His mouth is free. And then they start seeing movement yeah. on his body. Right. And and then they're horrified because it's mice right. crawling all over the body of Aslan. They're unidentifiable at first. Right. Yeah, and that's that's an important point. And you right. pointed this out too, and I think yeah. this is brilliant. So they're they're unidentified at first, but then we see that they're mice. And they're busy. And of course everybody has contempt for mice. Right. Because they're the little creatures that just do, you know Well, they're busy and they're always and we don't we overlook them. Yes. And we don't re we don't recognize them, but they're busy, 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 busy all the time. Right. So they're busy chewing the the cords off of Aslan. Right. And ultimately, they chew them, them off. Right. And and free him from his the bonds of death. Yeah. Well, not quite from the bonds of death, but from the bonds that held him to the stone table, the, the and, instrument of death. And the funny thing is, one of the girls say they don't realize he's dead. Mm -hmm. You know, yes. as they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes me, oh, that makes my heart sore when you yeah. say that. Yes. Because I think of, you know, they always, I don't want to call them little people, but the little people who are living their lives, yep. working, raising families. Yep. Um, and when the when the academic people say God is dead. Right. These, the elite. Yeah, the elite. Yep. That's who. When the elite say God is dead. Right. The, the little people are the little still, people are still busy doing their thing, right. still worshiping, still, still loving God. God. And this is like the animals, as they say repeatedly throughout the Chronicles of Narnia, mm -hmm. the animals don't forget. Right. The animals right. are committed. They live they live that. Right. And that happens at the lower at the at the basic level of human life. Right. People believe in God. Right. And, and it's those people who will unleash God and that and that show that God is not dead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's beautiful. Yeah. And we find out in Prince Caspian that this is the moment where 
the emperor over the sea, or Aslan, however you want to say it, actually grants to the mice That's right. the status yes. of rational creatures, right? That's of, right. of animals, of speaking animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's beautiful. Okay. And then we can say, morning is broken. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> One of our favorite songs. Yep. And I love that. I, I love that Cat Stevens sings that and that it is a, a hymn. Yeah. In the garden where his feet passed. Right? right. I love that part. Right. And we find the garden everywhere. Right. So then the girls hear a tremendous crack. crack. And and that's the stone table breaking because Aslan right. has come back to life. Right. Although they sure don't know that at first. Right. But this sort of corresponds to the uh, Matthew 27 um, rending of the veil mm-hmm. in the, the temple. The temple, exactly. Right? And then the open, it opens the Holy of Holies, which we referred to earlier in Hebrews, how Jesus is our, our high priest. And he represents us directly to God and opens with his death that uh, passage to the Holy of Holies for us ourselves. Right. Which is pretty amazing. Okay. So they encounter Aslan. Right. And, and, you know, they're surprised and relieved and happy and overjoyed. And his mane has grown back. Right. That's right. <laughs> so yeah. that's, there's more of that magic. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And he tells them about the deeper magic that the witch didn't know about. Right. And that's an important point mm-hmm. because the witch's knowledge, he said, only went back to the beginning of time. She didn't understand that the deeper magic said that if someone who was innocent offered his blood in place in place of the traitor, that death itself would run backwards. And and it would crack the stone table. And the stone table would crack. That's right. The and that, laws are written on the stone table. Right. And the laws are written on the stone table. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of like the new covenant in my blood, as he mentioned right. in 1 uh, Corinthians, I believe it is. Yep. Right. So, yeah. So there is that element of the sacrificial system in Lewis, more clearly delineated than I was thinking for. And there's a interplay between the girls and Aslan and Right. So once again, after it was the it was the women mm-hmm. who met Jesus when he emerged from the tomb. Right. Not when he emerged from the tomb, but after after the resurrection, it right. was the women. And after that scene, then they get on Aslan's back and they ride back to the witch's castle. Right, huge, hugely important scene here mm-hmm. that that Jenny actually made me more aware of than I've ever been before. Yeah, um, the first thing that happens is Aslan leaps over the wall. Right, and it makes a point of saying he doesn't fly; he bounds. He bounds. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's is- that's interesting. I'm not sure exactly what to make of that. What did you think that meant? Well, we were thinking about how when God does come back in a society, it's like a bound. It's not like he's not flying over. He bounds into like the Reformation, right? You know when he comes back into like the Great Awakening, right? Yeah, it happens, um, and it also sort of is, is kind of like an anti-garden right. moment, where instead of the evil coming into the the perfect garden situation, it's the good breaking into the evil garden. The, and, the stone, right? Because, and the stone because this, yeah, this courtyard is all filled of statues. Of all of the creatures that the witch had turned into stone. Right, as we saw when Edmund went through the courtyard earlier. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the first one they encounter is the lion. Right. So once they get in, the girls tumble off and Aslan starts blowing on the statues. And like you said, this is something Jenny pointed out, I think, as 
is absolutely fantastic. She researched this as I was reading it and found out that there's really important symbolism in which statues are blown upon when. Right, right. We were thinking about the lion, first of all. When we read it, we were talking about how the lion reminds us of a... So I want to say, like, the lion is a smaller version of Aslan, a smaller Aslan. Sort of like the church is like the smaller version of God. Of Jesus, yeah. Jesus of God. Right. And um, it was frozen. Yep. It was frozen as a statue. Right. So the witch exercised her power and managed to freeze... Uh, a version of Christ, much as in our culture, the elite academic culture and others and those who believe in scientism, not science, but scientism, actually believe that superstition has now been overcome Mm -hmm. and we can put all of those silly things behind us. Well, all of these statues are, they said that it's like a museum when they're looking around. Right, a frozen relic of the past. Right, a history, a place of history of the old days. Okay, and then Lewis makes a point of saying that he breathes on a dwarf, a dryad, a rabbit, and a centaur. I don't think it was in that order. Right. And we were thinking, what what do those represent? Why did he exactly. choose a rabbit? Why would the witch be angry at a rabbit <laughs> right. to turn it into a stone? Turning a rabbit into stone. Right. I mean, <laughs> so then when we looked it up, we realized that, I guess we start with dwarfs represent earth right so the the sort of basic craft people Mm -hmm. the people who sort of make a society run the plumbers the electricians right right? in our society they're almost like the mice right very much like the mice yes they're busy the common people Mm -hmm. they don't they don't really listen to the elite right they are their own Mm -hmm. sort of subset of humanity right and it's hard for a totalitarian structure to really destroy the values that live in that level of being. Right. And the centaur represents masculinity, which, of course, we see that all the time. It's being smashed, turned to cold stone. Right. Even (laughs) in Harry Potter, the centaurs are extremely manly, masculine. Right. And so she was able to to turn them into stone or turn masculinity into stone, right. which brings us to the dryads and the rabbit. Right. Dryads represent the feminine right. and rabbits represent fertility. Fertility. Right. Which are both those things are I mean, right now we see it being right. turned to stone. Right. The yeah. feminine, the the true feminine. Right. And um, Yeah, the abortion issue clearly mm-hmm. is a hatred of the feminine, just right. like um it would be for uh for, and, and, for just, and just telling women that reproducing, yeah, you know, we don't we don't need reproduction anymore. Right, right. and we should be able to, uh, be to choose to rid ourselves of the things in our body that we don't want. Exactly. So I, th- we, you and I think that that might be why Lewis chooses to uh, breathe, have Aslan breathe on these. Yeah, because I think I mean, why else would he make such a mm-hmm. point mm-hmm. of pointing out those four things? Right. Well, and then, then there's one more. Of course, it's really important. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, the, but those it's four. the main institutions, and then the fact that God has come back into the society. He breathes on these religion. He breathes on the common man. He breathes on the idea of the masculine and the feminine, feminine and wom- woman and man and then and fertility and reproducing because that's what god wants us to do right. that's why that was one of the fundamental commandments in right. genesis and then the last or not the last one one of the other ones he makes a point of pointing out is the giant right giant, giant rumble buffet giant, giant rumble buffet yes right 
and we we thought he reminds us of the government right big yeah. slow um, slow massively powerful mm -hmm. um and and difficult to get moving mm -hmm. but as aslan said once you put the feet in the right direction everything else will follow Right. It's like right. returning to the foundations. Right. Returning to the foundations. And government. that is so dead on. Right. Returning to our constitution yeah. and the founding fathers. Yeah, right. I remember, I remember reading in graduate school the Discourses on Livy by Machiavelli. He's, of course, most famous for the prince. But Machiavelli should be read more often for the Discourses on Livy. And in that book, he points out that every republic and the United States is a republic, not a direct democracy. Every republic must return periodically to its foundations, or it will go wrong. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know that Lewis specifically had that in mind, mm -hmm. but it is a general principle that any living democracy, any living republic, has to return to its foundational structures on occasion, or it will go awry. Right. And so, as Aslan said, put its feet right, and everything mm -hmm. else will follow. And some of the other things that made us think it's the government, he represents government, is before he was, he, he explains what happened when the witch froze him. He said that she was down there zooming <laughs> back and forth and he was trying to swing his big club <laughs> and he couldn't hit her. Right. When he woke up, he said, now where's that witch who was right. running around at my feet? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and it's kind of like what's going on now. The government just feels slow. Right to respond to all of the stuff that's happening and, right. and the, the evil stuff is just speeding. And, and that's actually been the history of the United States yeah. too. It's like we're slow to get involved in things. Right. But once the giant is roused, look out, mm -hmm. like World exactly. War One and World War II. Right. Um, once we are engaged, uh, look out enemy. And another interesting thing was that the little the people are all small. They're all looking up at him right. at this point, yelling up at him, and he's, he's having a hard time hearing them. Right. Again, another thing of government. Of government. Exactly right, because governments are so huge that listening to the people is actually quite difficult. Yeah, it is. And getting a handle on what it is that's necessary. Um, yeah. And really, government is a stupid, mm -hmm. um, a, 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 when it gets big especially, but any government is a collective and therefore, it's going to be slow, mm -hmm. and it's going to be difficult Bumbling. to get moving in the right way, and oftentimes screw things up. And what, yeah. what do they say about the giant? He's all right. He comes from an old family. Old family, yes. But the, the Buffins. Right, and the old family of traditions. Yep, an old family of traditional giants. Mm -hmm. So they follow the traditions, but like all giants, they're relatively stupid. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we said about how when they got in there, it looked like a museum. Right. All of these these uh, creatures had been frozen, and they looked like they were done in history. Right. It know? almost reminds you of like the, almost the waxworks type yeah. atmosphere that Diggory yeah, and Pollock encountered in Charm. Right. It's historical. It's history. Yep. The old days. But now, with everything coming back, the girls, I think it was the girls, they said it was now like a zoo. Right. Where it was a place of life. Right. And it's, the colors have come back. Right. The colors have come back. And they and it gives you a feeling of the present. Right. So and it the, goes from the monochrome past mm -hmm. or, or the monochrome of, of frozen stone mm -hmm. to a living present. Right. Which is what Christ wants us to live in at exactly. all times. So then Aslan 
looks to the giant to open the gates because right. the gate is shut. And he has to break down the gate again, government. Right. Once God comes back into a society, into a culture, then you need the right. government to open the gates. Right. Yeah, everybody else was too weak. Of course, Aslan mm -hmm. could have done it. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes, the. That's why he. I mean. God he, says in the Bible that he gives to the rulers the right. powers to exactly. enact his will on earth, and he works through them. Right, exactly. And so Aslan actually asks Giant Rumblebuffin to break down the gates. And Jenny and I both noticed here a, a connection like to what happened in Charn mm -hmm. when Jadis broke the gate down with magic. Right. She put her, put her arm out. Right. And it mm -hmm. trembled and fell. Right. But Giant Rumblebuffin hits it with the, the mighty power of the collective, right? Mm -hmm. The government power and, and manages to knock it down and free those who had been enchained by the witch right. to join the battle. Exactly. And that's, oh, and that's exactly where they go next. They right. go to the battle. But the one little thing that was funny is the uh, little, li the lion, he keeps running around. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he's all proud because, because, because Aslan said, we lions. Yes. <laughs> Did he you just... hear what he said? We lions. We <laughs> lions. That's what I like about Aslan. He's not. He's not, he hasn't set himself way above us. <laughs> we lions. Right. Okay. So they, of course, Aslan has to humble him right, by, right. By, by making him carry a whole bunch of people. It's right, like, exactly. okay. It's like, it's like the, the church, you know, the church. Yeah. We get too excited yeah. different times and, and get too full of ourselves. And then he gives us a task. the burden of people. Right. <laughs> okay. So they go to the battle. And if you remember, the evil looked more ugly now that now that it was day, daylight. Right. Yeah, that was an interesting point in the text. Mm -hmm. It's like because the girls had seen the evil at night when they killed Aslan, but when they saw it in the daylight, it looked even worse. It mm -hmm. looked hideous. Look, I don't know if it looked more evil or more ugly. Yeah, probably more ugly. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Not more evil, but more mm -hmm. ugly. And, and that's, that's true. Mm -hmm. When we start to see evil in light of the truth, mm -hmm. and truth is always light, right? God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Then we start to see evil more clearly. Mm -hmm. but, but when we are living in darkness, evil is not very obvious to us. It's that's why. Of, it's kind of like that article we read yeah, where abortion, abortion is killing and that's okay. Yeah. In their eyes, it's I just can't believe it. They say abortion is like just plucking a flower right which looks kind of beautiful but right. to us you know who know the truth about what abortion is that's ugly right and, ugly. and they could not have gotten away with that mm -hmm. 40 years ago mm -hmm. because darkness had not reigned powerfully enough yet and when the light is shining that stuff becomes very evident and you can't trade darkness for light and evil for good right but you can when darkness has been reigning so long. And this is my point throughout the Christian atheists and why I make such an emphasis on, on Hegel. Mm -hmm. Because it is Hegel that laid the foundation of all the wokeness, the evil that is pervading our society now that must be overcome. Right. Folks, we have to confront this. Mm -hmm. Whether Jesus comes tomorrow or not, he's going to want to, us to have stood up for the truth. Right. And it's time for us to be warriors on this level. There's no gentle Jesus anymore. Right. It's time for Jesus to take out the sword of truth. And we need to start 
slaying these well, dragons. I don't know if there ever was a gentle Jesus. No, there never was a gentle <laughs> Jesus. You're right. So when they get to the battle, they see that the witch is not using her wand anymore. She's using a knife. Right. And we find out later that the wand, Edmund had had broken the wand. Right. Um, and, and saved the day, or at least got him to the point of maybe having a fight. Where chance. she couldn't turn things to stone anymore. Right. Yeah. yeah. So we thought, what what does what is that wand? What does it represent? Yeah. And we thought that it's kind of like um, you said, a loss of meaning and value. Right. You know, turning things to cold stone is like a loss of meaning and value. That's what made her effectual. Right. And that's kind of what we started with today. Mm -hmm. It's like she turning people to stone is kind of like what the witch does to everyone, right. including Edmund, her right. minions. That's right. That's where we started. Mm -hmm. So it would cause you to be ineffectual, cold, hard, useless, right. colorless, just a memory. Yep. Unable and to move. You just crumble away. Yep. Slowly but surely you crumble away because when yeah. meaning is gone, when humanity means nothing it has no inherent value when there is no imago dei at all to which to refer then we've got no meaning left right. and what's left in a in a meaningless universe except the extinguishing of life right right and the significance of her losing it that's the opposite now you you are right. effectual you're Useful. However strong the witch may be, as meaning is preserved, brings color right, back, and suddenly life then comes back, and people find a purpose and and hope. Right. Like, that's another thing we've been reading in Hebrews eleven. We spent a lot of times in Hebrews eleven in the past week or so. Right. And that notion of hope, although it's never fully fulfilled, is something that keeps us moving forward. Right. And I remember we were we talked before about. The, those who found freedom from the death camps and and the so you know in the Soviet countries and and Hitler and that hope right you know yeah you can imagine the despair that that yeah. they lived in until, and that would be like what the wand did right does yep yeah and then and then being liberated or seeing even the chance yeah. of being liberated to to have something to hold on to that moment of hope so um, the army rushes into the battle Aslan pounces on the witch. Yes. Kills her. Mm -hmm. yep. And now there's rejoicing. I mean, there was there is rejoicing, but then there's also a little bit of sadness because of the injuries right. on and the we, battlefield. And we find out from Peter that it was Edmund who managed to break the witch's wand. And he says to Aslan, everyone previously went for the witch. Yeah. But Edmund, and this is... Sorry, this is another one of those moments that makes me... Because Edmund understood the nature of evil. Right. He'd been redeemed from it. And he uses... And there is some value in that. Right. He uses the experience of that evil for good. Right. That's that's like you. That's with the, the Christian, Christian atheist. atheist right. Yes. Using your experience outside of... Right. Having seen both sides, you mm -hmm. understand. And let me tell you, the atheist side has plenty of rationality. But it doesn't have the truth. Right. And the truth wins. Right. In the end. So Edmund's the one that levels the playing field. Yes. By by taking away her power to make things meaningless. Right. Yeah, and, and making things valueless. Okay. So they're rejoicing. Um at the same time they have to revive those who were 
on on the battlefield injured. That's when Edmund, because Edmund was... Right, Edmund is grievously wounded. Right. um, Possibly even fatally wounded. Right. And is is probably bleeding out on the battlefield. And they take Lucy to him. And Aslan said, it's time for you, Lucy, to do your job. Right, and this is the feminine here yeah. coming in to to offer the healing, and right. so she pours some of the cordial onto Edmund's wounds, and makes the mistake of sticking around and waiting to see how the cordial works on Edmund, mm-hmm. despite the fact that there are many others, others wounded. Right. right, and Aslan gently but very seriously rebukes her for that. And once everything's Everything's done. Everything's everything's good again. Um, Aslan slips away. Right. And what does the be? Is it the beaver that says? And Mister Beaver says yeah. it's okay. He will come and he will go. One day you'll see him. The next day he'll be gone. Right. But that's okay because he's not a tame right. lion. Right. No gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Right. Okay. Then the children grow up. Right, <laughs> they become kings and queens of Narnia. They grow up. Yep, they go through the next story, which is the horse and his boy. Right, the horse and his boy comes next, mm-hmm. and that's actually in the process of the children growing up. Right, but the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe ends with them chasing the white stag. Right, and the white stag represents that desire for adventure. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but think here of, of Abraham being sent by right. God from his father's house out into an adventure. And many adventures have bad things happen as well as good things. But to have that sense of adventure, to be willing to follow God where he leads, is one of the things that is central to the Christian life. And the children follow the white stag. It's, it's said that if you catch the white stag, he will grant you a wish. And so they, they follow him and find themselves tumbling out of the wardrobe back into our world. Right. And their children again. And their children again. And it again. only took a moment. Yep. Their entire adventure took a moment. And like I said, in the next book, you find out a story of something that happened while they were growing up. As kings and queens right. of Narnia. And then they returned to being children. That would be wonderful. <laughs> and one last <laughs> phrase in that. Aslan, I think it was Aslan, said to them, once kings and queens in Narnia, always kings and queens in Narnia. Right. Or was that Professor Kirk said it when they talked to him at the very end? And he says, what hmm. do they teach you in these schools? Bless me. What do they teach yeah. these children in these schools? I can't remember that. I'm not sure either yeah. who said it, but I thought it was Aslan. All so, right. happy well, anniversary, my Happy love. anniversary to you. <laughs> I adore you. I love you, John. (laughs) (laughs) Till next time, folks. Bye. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian. <laughs>